Welcome to Press Play, the Street Cred podcast with Elena Krasdow, yours truly, and Jimmy Moak from Street Cred PR. In this podcast, Jimmy and I will welcome industry leaders, journalists, influencers, and friends of the firm to shed some light on who they are and the various twists and turns that led them to where they are today. We're grateful to have you listening in, and we hope you enjoy the show. My name is Elena Kratznow. Welcome to Press Play, the Street Cred Podcast. I'm so grateful you're here. I'm the editorial manager and client brand evangelist at Street Cred PR and your host for today's show, along with co-host and managing partner, Jimmy Moak. We will break down the show into two segments, Press, where we dive into all the hard news about our guest life and their professional goals, and then Play, where we have a little extra fun with it. Today, I am over the moon to welcome beloved human being and industry powerhouse Diana Cabrisi's of Diana Cabrisi's Consulting to the show. To give our listeners a little more background on Diana, she is the founder of Diana Cabrisi's Consulting, a brand evangelism firm dedicated to energizing demand channels for wealth tech and financial services brands. Prior to introducing the industry's first ever outsourced chief evangelist offering, Diana held executive roles in advisor marketing and technology, including vice president of enterprise development at Snappy Kraken, and has supported thousands of financial advisors in implementing growth strategies across some of the most fundamental areas of their businesses, marketing, branding, technology, succession planning, recruiting, and M&A. In 2023, at the Excel Represent Conference, Diana was named Women in Wealth Management's up-and-comer for her outstanding achievements in innovation and financial services. Diana is a member of Women in Insurance and Financial Services, an association empowering women in the finance and insurance professions to succeed. She also leads the charge at Advisors Growing as a Community, a community and peer networking organization, and sits on the advisory board for a couple of technology and service companies driving growth and digital evolution in the industry. A bold businesswoman, a brand builder, Diana has traveled all over the country teaching financial advisors how to grow their businesses at scale. When she's not evangelizing advisor tech, she's usually planning her next trip, elevating women as a birth doula and business mentor, and spending time in the beautiful mountains of Colorado where she currently resides. Diana, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Gosh, that was really cool, actually, to hear you go through all of that. Thank you, Elena and Jimmy, for having me here. I'm really, really looking forward to this conversation. I think there's so much that I would love to dive into with you. So thanks for having me. Welcome to Press Play. Woohoo. We are absolutely thrilled to have you. Feel lucky to have you on as a guest. And I always love the reaction of our guests after we read their bios. <laughs> They're kind of sitting back like, dang, I did all that. That's pretty cool. Um, I'm like holding uh, my breath through it all. <laughs> speaking of holding your breath, can we jump right into birth doula? Tell me what I need to know there. <laughs> Let's do it. I'm actually gearing up, Jimmy, to go to Atlanta tomorrow to be my sister's birth doula. But a birth doula, it's it's funny because there's such a line you can draw to a brand evangelist, but it's your advocate in the birth room. It's the educator to the mom about what to expect, what options she has whether it's a home birth or a hospital birth. And it's really a support to the partner as well, like teaching him or her how to support the birthing mom uh, in and outside of the hospital, different breathing techniques, relaxation. So your best friend in the birth room, that is what a doula is. Well, I've never been around one <laughs> until now, obviously. <laughs> and I've been in the birthing room three times. Oh, goodness. <laughs> And I can confirm that I was never once considered 
the best friend of, <laughs> of the yep. lady giving birth. <laughs> That's pretty common. It's, it's interesting. I've been in a few situations, a few births where the the wife or the, you know, the birthing mom didn't want anything to do with the husband, right? Like she wanted me there and she could care less if he was around. <laughs> uh, it's just, it's just an interesting thing. I think it's just a sisterhood thing, but yeah, it's, it's a fun time. And I launched a business back in 2018 where I did it for a little bit, but currently not my main focus. I sort of just do it for family and friends now. That's awesome. Love yeah. it. Well, not to take away the importance of being a birth doula, which is incredibly important, but I have another critical question to ask you, which we ask all of our guests. Okay. And that is, what did you have for breakfast this morning? Oh, I'd be happy to share this. I love talking about food. <laughs> <laughs> so this morning I actually had what my doctor calls a prime shake. Um, it's under their brand. I see a functional medical doctor. And it's a vegan protein shake, but it also has tons of vitamins, minerals, enzymes. Uh, it's chocolate. It's creamy. It's sugar-free. And I added some tahini for good fats. I yes. added some spinach, some blueberries, and a banana. And it just, oh, it's my favorite thing. Sounds delicious. Sounds like the healthiest thing anyone on our show has ever eaten. <laughs> Bacon and eggs here. There we go. I, I love bacon and eggs. Don't get me wrong. Today was just one of those mornings. <laughs> I love it. I'm still getting through my smoothie over here. Okay. Uh, I was going to ask. Yeah. Yes. Yes. The, I feel like my breakfast is always really boring. My lunch is usually a little more varied and exciting, but breakfast is pretty much the smoothie routine. <laughs> do you guys want to know it. what I did for breakfast? Honestly? What'd yes. you do? Was the bacon and eggs a lie? I, it was a lie. It was just what I was <laughs> thinking about. I got my hair cut this morning at Ooh. 9 a.m. Wow. Uh, I've got a guy. His name is Josh. And he is, look, my hair is thinning. I'm losing it. He is the best at making it look like I've got some still. <laughs> and he, his weekends, he is down the shore because he cares for his father. So I've been texting him trying to get in because tomorrow I have a client event and I have to drive there. I'm going to see the client. My hair was woofing the other day on, <laughs> on Zooms. So uh, I woke up this morning to a text from Josh and he said, get your ass over here. <laughs> I, I can cut it before we open. Wow. So this has been a harried morning for me. Sorry. <laughs> hey, there it is. <laughs> Love that play on words. Good for you, though. Like you took action. That's important. <laughs> I did. I feel Love like I, I feel like I've accomplished so much. And now yeah. we have this pod. I'm dealing with uh, some issues great. management. Like it's all <laughs> happening. Just another Tuesday in the business. Right. right. <laughs> um, awesome. Well, y'all, let's dive in because we have so much that we want to talk about with you, Diana. Um, yeah. The last year and a half or so has been a wild ride for you. And I have felt so lucky to have a front row seat to this incredible journey that you've been on. But before we get into all that, I would love for you to take us back in time a bit and give our listeners a little bit of the backstory behind how you even first got into wealth tech marketing and what really drove you to launch your consulting company. I would love to share this story. And, you know, the the more years I spend in this space and then I look back, everything just makes so much more sense to me. So mm. I'll tell you, the whole reason I got into fintech in the first place was I graduated college, I sold all my stuff, and I wanted to go travel Europe. 
And I had about $5,000 and that only took me so far because instead of taking a three month trip in Europe, I ended up staying for two years and I lived in Spain and I really needed to make money. And for an American company, because teaching English under the table was like making me pennies for euros. So I put my profile on this website called upwork.com. It's a freelancer platform. And I had a fintech company reach out. The name was Succession Link. And they said, hey, can you read this script and send us your voice? And the script was like, hi, are you a financial advisor? Are you looking to sell your business or merge with another business? And I was like, what does this even mean? I don't even know what financial (laughs) advisors really do. Like I was never exposed to that world growing up. And so I sent my voice and apparently so did 500 other people and they chose me and they said, we love your voice. We want you to work for our company. And basically I started smiling and dialing financial advisors all day long. And that is how I really learned their language And I started to understand more of their world. Like it started with succession planning and M&A and then just expanded so much. Advisors love to talk, especially the older ones. So I got a lot of stories. (laughs) And that translated into, you know, growing into management at that company. And this was really all in the sales world. And then being put on the front lines of the company. So, you know, they wanted me to go speak. They wanted me to host webinars. Um, They eventually were acquired by a company called Chalice Network. And from there, I was also put into a management role in sales and business development, where I was not only pitching one product, I now had to learn so many different fintech products because we were a marketplace and you joined us to get discounts across all the best tech. And in order to sell that, you had to know what the best tech did and what value it brought. So, I mean, I started learning all those pitches. And again, you know, we had road shows, we had conferences. That was when I really started to develop my voice and I would say my personal brand. From there, Snappy Kraken came along. I jumped at that opportunity. I landed wherever I could. And I was exposed heavily to the world of marketing. And that's also where I started speaking a lot more. Main stage, panels, breakouts, uh, Robert Sophia, you know, shout out to him because he really helped me come up with my speaking just reputation and my skills. And over these, let's call it six or seven years, I guess eight at this point, all along the way, this is where my aha moment came in to launch my business. All along the way, I'd have a tech CEO or someone come up to me and say, hey, Uh, how much do I got to pay you to do that for my company? Because we don't have anyone like that. What you just did in that room on that stage for Snappy or for this company, we need you here. And that happened like five times. And then I realized, ding, 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 there is something that I have here. I need to package it and I need to sell it. And so I made the jump uh, one year ago, a little over one year ago to launch my own business in the marketing realm. Here's the last thing I'll say to this. I sort of saw the power, like sales is amazing. I'm a saleswoman at heart uh, through and through, but I realized that there's so much more power in educating than there is in pitching. And I want to play that educator role. And that's really where that evangelist, uh, you know, really brings the heat, brings the power for these tech companies is being that voice, being that face, being that big educator for the problem they're solving, not just the product that they're selling. Makes so much sense. I love the hearing the whole trajectory. Obviously, I know the story well being close <laughs> to you, but I still always learn something different. And I love how you were started in this industry that you knew nothing about and just took it by, you know, took the bull by the horn, so to speak, and look at where it's landed you. 
Yeah, I, <laughs> I had no idea you had a background in M&A with Succession Link. That's pretty cool. What's that CEO's name again? Philip Flakes. Okay, okay. Yeah. Um, maybe I'm thinking of of um someone that, someone that Nick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. Yeah. I know yep. I know Nick very well. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Very Nick, cool. Nick was actually the one cuz I actually started also in like I was playing a customer success role and he was like you need to be in sales. We need you on the front lines. And then he gave me that aha moment as well. He's a good guy. Fantastic. That's awesome. And uh, all right. So follow up number one. Sorry. This is <laughs> this is all I do. Uh, any similarities or connections that you find between the world of M&A and the world of marketing slash evangelism? Absolutely. So in order for me to help advisors position their firms to be, you know, hey, even considered for an M&A or to partner with someone or to take over someone's business for them, which by the way, most advisors never want to sell their businesses. They want to work forever. I had to help them write very persuasive and compelling profile descriptions. Like it's not enough to say we have this much in assets under management and we're located here and here's our team size. It needs to be more, you know, here's the way we transform the lives of our clients and why we do what we do and why we're so passionate about it. And so in a way I was, I was helping them market their own practices. And that is again, marketing in and of itself is you have to be able to tell a compelling story so that other people believe you want to do business with you, want to potentially merge their REA with yours. Awesome. That's exactly what I was thinking you were going to say. And I'm (laughs) I'm glad uh, that I'm not crazy. So (laughs) you're not. (laughs) Love it. Well, you also mentioned, which is incredible, that you just recently celebrated the one-year anniversary of launching your business. Congratulations. That's an amazing milestone. Um, Yeah. Tell us a little bit, what are some of the most important lessons you've learned along the way? What has this journey taught you so far? So many things. Oh my goodness. I've learned, I feel like launching my own business put me on an accelerated growth path. Like I feel like I went and got my MBA in one year, Um, not to discredit anyone that actually has an MBA. I don't have one, but I just feel like it taught me a lot. And I, I think I can maybe summarize that in a few different things. So first off, we all have that voice in our head. That's like, don't do that. Or you're not good enough for that. Right. That sort of imposter syndrome, like totally get mm-hmm. rid of it. And I also felt like, oh my gosh, I'm 32. Like, I'm behind the times, like some of the best, most successful people like launch early. And and I kept hearing those messages from people. If you want to be an entrepreneur, launch now, launch early, launch in your 20s. But I took the sort of leap anyway. And I realized like, wow, it's never too late for anyone to like chase their dreams and achieve big on that point. Also just thinking bigger. I had no idea when I would launch. I would land in industry publications. I would get my first client within two days committed. Like I would land a keynote gig this year. I didn't think any of that. I kept thinking really small. Like, hey, as long as I get one client, I'm happy. And, you know, it's enough to like break even in my business. And now I, you know, am making more money than I ever have before. And I want women to hear this because I feel like we're more sensitive to these big accomplishments and big numbers. Our male counterparts They talk about this stuff. They talk big numbers together in a room. And like, we don't do that as much. So um, think bigger. You never know that you might even create a movement for yourself, for the industry. 
Um, and then on that note, just don't undervalue yourself. I think that's another hard lesson I've learned this year is I have asked for a price too low more than once. And the response on the other side has been, oh, oh yeah, we can totally do that. You know, and you don't want that response. You want them to say, well, let me take this back. I'll get back to you tomorrow. You can always negotiate down. It's, it's harder to go- negotiate up. So not undervaluing yourself. And there's a million other lessons I could share, but these are some of the top ones that come to mind. Absolutely. Well, well I would I would just say this. Uh, you did it at the right time for you. And I don't think it was late at all. It took me until I was 45 to make the entrepreneurial leap and to his credit jason had already launched street cred so it was a heck of a lot easier for me to do what i did than the path that that you took but in defense of the uh boys talking big numbers line (laughs) i will say this jason and myself and emma and Elena, I I was just thinking, why haven't we had Emma on as a guest yet? (laughs) She doesn't want to be on the show. I'm going to talk her into it. Um, Look, Emma is like the steward, the the beacon that keeps Jason and I on task oftentimes and is, I mean, I don't need to tell Elena how great she is with her day job, but um, If you look hard enough, you will find that there are those, and I know that you are now one of them also, Diana, Mm -hmm. that um, are are putting their their name on the line in terms of building something successful that you could be proud of. So kudos to you for for making that. Again, I think you did it just at the right time. Absolutely. Thanks, Jamie. But I do really appreciate the transparency that you bring to all these different elements of your story, Diana, because I think culturally it's so true that women in general tend to not share what we're what our salaries are, what our speaker yeah. fee might be. And whereas it's more habitualized for men in our industry to share those numbers so they can, you know, understand what the bar is and then go past it or to it. Um, yeah. So I think that transparency is really important. And I think for women listening into this show, this is very inspiring. And these lessons are super important for us to hear and really resonate with me too. Yeah, I agree. And I'll add one other thing to this point. I was at a women's mastermind a few weekends ago, and we all had to go around the room and pitch our businesses, what problems or challenges we're having. And we started and I sort of stopped everyone in their tracks. And I said, we all need to talk about how much money we're making. And for a moment, all of us kind of froze up. And then I was like, if we don't do this, we don't know what's actually possible. There are women in that room making triple what I'm making today. And I'm like, oh my gosh, if they can do it, then I can. You know, so it is that sort of inspirational and setting the bar. So I agree, Lena. And thank you, Jimmy, too. Hey, history favors the bold. That's right. right. <laughs> um, so you touched on this a little bit, like when you were talking about how, you know, you should always dream bigger. You never know, you might start a movement. And that's exactly what's happened with your business. So talk to us a little bit about why the role of a chief evangelist is so important and how, you know, has your work as the industry's first fractional chief evangelist led you to become a champion of this role for other firms, sort of stimulating a movement, as you said. 
Yeah. So when I launched my business, I wanted to focus on what sort of problem I was solving in the space. And there's a lot of different problems in the space. There's a lot of different amazing things in the space, specifically on this front of communication and positioning and really putting dynamic humans on the front line of a business. I felt that tech companies were lacking a bit. Like there's a lot of really good tech in our space. Um, you know, some are more product led and product focused. Others are more marketing led and marketing focused, like Snappy Kraken, right? There's such a personality to that brand, but other brands can't really say the same. And I, I sort of looked at that and said, they really need a, a cheerleader. They need a strong voice, someone who can position them very creatively. Um, and PR obviously does this in its own way, um, but I'm talking, you know, grassroots, direct to customer humanizing that marketing strategy, right? Go to market is so important, but you can only write so many blog posts. You can only put out so many social posts, uh, so many white papers, right? That's great. But you also need people because people buy from people. They don't buy from a brand. They buy from a person. And so I saw this sort of gap and I knew I needed to insert myself into that and support these tech companies to tell their story better, to spotlight yeah. their technology better. And so that's exactly what I did. I, I also say... You know, brands and companies in general, they're focused on a couple of things. They're focused on building. They're focused on operating. It's very hard in an organization for somebody to spend 100% of their time evangelizing the brand, which really needs to be done, but also being a chief operational officer or building a sales team or hitting quota. Like, it's very, very difficult. And for that reason, I, I really advocate for every tech company in the space and really every company to have a dedicated evangelist, whatever you want to call it. Maybe you don't like the word. I don't care. But like a dedicated, dynamic person on the front lines, being that face, being that voice, or at least one of them to humanize your marketing and tell your story in a way that people can actually connect to, people meaning advisors, and they really are moved by it and they want to purchase your product or they want to learn more or talk with you. Absolutely. And not to make it too gendered, but I do think, and you and I have discussed this before, I think it's one of the reasons why women are so incredible at sales because yeah. they excel in all of these humanizing skills that really mm -hmm. allow you to tell a story, connect with people emotionally. Um, on a product that maybe not, you know, doesn't inherently seem like it has a lot of emotion connected to it. Completely agree. It's it's adding that personality. Women are also very nurturing. Um, you know, we make great educators. We make great nurses. We also make great salespeople, like you said. So I just, I saw that gap. I saw my talent and I just really wanted to unite them and bring them together. What's hard is I'm only one person. Yeah. Um, and so, like I mentioned, every company needs somebody like this. And, you know, it doesn't have to be right away, but at some, some stage in your growth, it's so important to have great people on the front line. So how, I really agree. So tell me, how often, or I realize that every scope of work that you agree to with a client is is different, but talk about the fractional component to it all. Because as you were talking, I'm thinking to myself, and I was immediately thinking to past work of my own and other clients, and I'm like, we are more and more entering a subscription-based economy. And I'm not totally connecting fractional to subscription, but like when I'm done with Netflix, I could just cancel it. Right. Mm -hmm. Or when I want to try something new, I could just sign up for it. Like talk about the, um, how you're winning new business and like how those scopes of business come about 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad that you asked about the fractional piece, because to be honest, I often forget to talk more about it, right? I'm so focused on the evangelist side. But for me, the reason I created this business sort of fractionally was a few different reasons. Number one, I recognize to have a really dynamic evangelist at the front lines of your company, that person is a six-figure paid person. Not every company's board is going to be okay with that. They haven't maybe gotten behind the mission. Uh, leadership might not really want to dedicate a six-figure role to just a full-time you know, voice or ambassador. Um, and so I, I realized in sort of putting my eggs in a few different baskets instead of one, I almost... Um, reduce the risk for myself, right? I sort of hedge the risk for myself as a professional in the space. Um, and so the the other side of this too is like, um, I I love many different tech companies. I, I And I can advocate for one, but I think it's fun to be able to say, well, here's how this plugs into your firm and this and this. Oh, and here's how they all connect together. And that's really what I get to do with my clients is like kind of draw the line and tell the story in that way. And it also makes me more, more well-rounded and educated on advisor technology. I believe the other question you asked was a little bit about like scope of work. So that's been the part that has really taken time and experience to be able to develop. Um, And so when I first started, it was like, you know, I think I can accomplish this many things in in any given quarter. But over time, I've learned, you know, usually it's going to be about two webinars. I'm building the content behind it, the promotional copy, you know, having my designer create graphics. I'm usually traveling to about one conference to represent my clients Um, either shared time or they sort of commit to different conferences, which works out really nicely. Um, There's usually some social media, a couple videos added into into that. And um, it, it looks a little different for everyone, but in general, it keeps me really, really busy. And there's usually every day of the week, there's something I'm writing, I'm scripting, I'm filming. Like just before I hopped on this podcast, I was filming my next seminar smarts video for White Glove. Uh, it's like a really cool content series that we launched to just give like bite-sized education on how to launch successful prospecting events. So it looks a little bit different everywhere, but hopefully I, I answered that question for you. No, totally. And Be prepared when you make it to year two and year three, look back at some of the contracts or scope of works that you've put in front of either past or present clients, and you will laugh your ass off. Like, <laughs> like oh my God, I can't believe we were thinking that. Or yeah. like, yeah. how how junior league were we when mm. we drafted this? Like, Jason yeah. and I will literally laugh our asses off when we come across <laughs> old emails to prospects or um, breakup letters with past <laughs> clients, like <laughs> hilarious stuff. So, um, but you learn from it, right? Yeah. History tends to repeat itself or it it sounds a lot like it did or whatever that saying is. I'm, I haven't had enough coffee today. Um, <laughs> I know what you mean. I think it was in there. So, yeah. 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 Totally. I know. H- history doesn't often repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. That's that the line is? Yeah. There you go. I like so, that a lot. So be on the lookout for that. And you'll find yourself patting yourself on your back because of where you are today versus what you were doing four, eight, ten quarters ago. Yeah. I think that's also one of the most important things about being an entrepreneur is just having that fearlessness. 
so that you can look back and see how fearless you were. And yeah, maybe you made some mistakes or, you know, use some verbiage that you wouldn't use today, but also feeling really proud that you were willing to put yourself out there and to put yourself on the line for something that you really believed would work. And it's working. I think that's amazing. Amen. Um, okay, let's bring this conversation a little bit around to public relations, which, as you know, is what Jimmy and I do for a living. Um, from your experience, what does a strong partnership between PR and brand evangelism look like? And how do those different spheres of marketing really work to support one another? Yeah, so there is there's so much overlap. And there's also this like beautiful partnership between the two. And I was super excited to talk about this with you. I, I knew that this question would come up as you guys are the PR experts in this space. Uh, I've had actually a lot of people confuse my company with PR. They're like, well, you know, what PR can you do for us? And so there's been a lot of educating on my part. And I feel like my own explanation of this sort of shifts along the way because I'm still learning, right? But, you know, I I obviously see your role in PR, your crucial role in PR as those more formal media relationships, right? Crisis communication, crafting that official brand narrative. And then I sort of compare that to what the evangelist does. And I, I see the evangelist as sort of fostering like organic grassroots support. Like, yes, you know, there's media that I'm creating. It's not necessarily relationships with the official media. I'm sort of creating this, my own medium of communication that's more personal, relatable, and just that enthusiastic endorsement that's happening directly to the customer. Right. Uh, I also feel that evangelists, because we are so connected to the customer and the prospect, we have our ears to the ground, right? We we have a pulse on how customers, in this case, financial advisors, are perceiving the brand, what they're saying about it, you know, what stories they're telling around it, how they're using it. And I think that, you know, th that messaging needs to go right over to the PR team where they're going to, again, like blast that out through these more formal media channels. Mm. For example, like with my clients, I take you know, hours. And I listen to customer calls, sales calls, customer success calls, listen to the feedback. I go online on Reddit and other forums, and I look to see what advisors have been saying about the tool and how they use it and get creative with it. And then I sort of create this thought leadership around that for my clients. And instead of me just blasting that out through a webinar, like a demand gen webinar or through social media, I'm also pushing that over to whoever does PR with my clients so that they can help us land media interviews and get our messaging out through those official media channels. I do right. sometimes land media interviews directly for my clients just because my reputation is growing. But I think we're a perfect match. And in a perfect world, all the tech companies would have the PR and the marketing and the evangelism working beautifully together. Uh, I think we're just an awesome complement to one another. I totally agree. I think the way that you explain that is so eloquent. Like I said, I've had it asked a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, and I can see why, because there is an evangelism component of PR, but mm -hmm. it manifests in a very different way than the work that you do. Right. Yeah. yeah. And like, I don't envy you guys by any means, because <laughs> what you do is hard work. And when I have had clients ask me to do some PR work, I'm like, I need 10 coffees right now. And like, you're <laughs> edge, and you're like, you know, who's emailing me right now? Did this reporter get back? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know that I could do this for a living. It's really hard. But that's why I say like, we, we just make a great team. <laughs> yep. There's so definitely I a controlled chaos element to the PR work <laughs> world. <laughs> what are yeah. you going to say, Jimmy? 
I, w- I was just going to add, and, and sometimes the evangelism that, that we do from this post is often unseen or unheard or unread about because it could be engaging with reporters who are looking to do something that might not paint a client in the best light or, sure. and, yeah. um, and then there's that, that noise that's just out there in the industry where, you know, we, we work in a PR is, is funny because there are so many different constituents that a client might have. And oftentimes they're all worried about their own street cred, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And like you, positioning and protecting the client's brand ultimately becomes job number one. And then everything else after that usually seems to fall into place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. perfectly said. Well, this has been an amazing mini masterclass on brand evangelism and all things Diana Cabrisi's consulting. I'm so proud of what you've built. It's really just incredible, Diana. But I also want to get into our play segment and talk a little bit about your personal life outside of work. So for our first question, if you weren't the brand evangelism queen of financial services, what would you be doing? That is a great question. (laughs) Um, Okay. So before I left for Europe, so we'll go back to that story. I traveled to Portland and I toured a medical school and it was a naturopathic medical school. And I spent like a few years writing a health blog and I launched a nutrition consulting business in college. I would literally work in an apartment complex, leasing apartments. After work, I'd go up to these apartments because I landed residents as clients and I would do like nutrition consulting and we'd make green juice. Um, all to say, I have a big passion for health and wellness. I don't know exactly where I would point that to. Maybe I would have become a functional medical doctor. Maybe I would have a wellness center. That's always been like a big dream of mine is to have this like incredible wellness center where you can sauna and massage and green juice and all of the things and meditate and all those great things for your health. So I think I would definitely be doing something in that space. And not to say I never won't, but right now I do love what I'm doing here. I love it. And they all kind of fall under the same beautiful umbrella of advocacy and education. (laughs) Yes. And I know you've been on an incredible journey with your health knowledge as well, just as much as your knowledge of this space. You're always the first person that I call if I have a question about anything (laughs) in that sphere of life. My friends always called me Dr. D. Call me whenever you want. (laughs) Hey, (laughs) I love it. Um, Cool. What do you do for fun? Okay, so... It's such an interesting question because I feel like the last year of my life has been so work focused. But as I try to like balance more, I do a few things for fun. First off, to me, um, I'm going to, this is top of mind. So I went to Ulta last night and I realized makeup brings me so much joy. I'm not one of those <laughs> women that has to wear makeup every day. In fact, I love going makeup free many days of the week, but I actually have a real joy in just like beauty and aesthetic. And so I could spend hours like playing around with different makeup. Um, Lately, I've been reading and Elena, you've been a huge inspiration to me with that because I've gone the last year not really reading anything besides listening and audio and watching movies. But um, reading has become a quick obsession. I'm reading in the morning. I'm reading at night. I'm like three books in this year and I love, love, love it. 
Um, cooking, hanging out with my boyfriend. So we live in Denver and it's such a great place to like get out in nature and hike and just like go to the falls and we'll go to Boulder sometimes just to feel young again with the university there and um, (laughs) shopping. Of course, like I love a good trip where I'm just like shopping and eating really good food. Eating is a huge like centerpiece of my life. Everything I do revolves around food. My boyfriend always jokes. He's like, you're the easiest woman to please. Like just give you food and you're super happy. So (laughs) cooking and eating is where I will end there. (laughs) Sephora is life. (laughs) Hey. With three dads or with three daughters, girl dad over here, he knows the way to our hearts. (laughs) Oh my God. Every time I come to this desk after I've been away for for a while, the, there will be a browser open and it's <laughs> Sephora with like seven things in the shopping cart <laughs> or every time after a basketball game or a dance practice or gymnastics, yep. can we go to Sephora? Dad, there is this new dumb elephant thing that is out and I am just like, oh yep. my God, girls, yep. you, you are nine and 11 years old. <laughs> You do not need makeup. You do not need skin treatments. I mean, your skin is never going to look better than it is right now. Like, right. what the hell are you doing? I but, do remember, uh, Jimmy, you mentioning in Slack once that a morning crisis of a daughter wearing mascara who was oh far too young in your opinion for such yeah, things. I sent her upstairs. I told yep. her to take Good. that off. She was going Good. to school. Fourth grade with <laughs> mascara on. Are you kidding me? Oh my God. Yeah, no, like put the strong arm up, Jimmy, because I remember fighting my mom on it. I think I was in fifth grade and she's like, you're not wearing makeup. No, you're not. And I think seventh grade, she finally let me start wearing makeup. I think that was about the same age for me too. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. But book club, bookworms for life. Love that you are getting back into reading. Mm -hmm. Such uh, Such a great... I don't know, just a great escape and a great way to activate your brain and learn new words and yep. learn different things that you can speak to. I find all the time that I'm in conversation and suddenly something pops into my head from a book that I'm reading. And then I have this beautiful connective piece of knowledge that I never would have yep. had had I not had my head in a book. Makes you so much smarter. It does. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Love it. And also so funny that you what you were saying about how Tyler's like, you're the easiest girlfriend, the easiest person to please with... <laughs> Just take you out for a good meal and you're good to go. A friend of mine was saying to me recently, um, like, we're lucky to live on this planet where food is such an enjoyable part of our lives. Like we could live on an alien planet and food could be just like injecting ourselves with a tube of blue goo and that would be it. Right. (laughs) But here on this earth, we get to experience the full spectrum of culinary divinity. And it is amazing. It's so amazing. We had a delicious Italian dinner last night. Oh, we were both like that salad was the best salad we've ever. We just couldn't stop raving about it. <laughs> Love it. All right. Well, our final question for you, we wrap every show with a little moment of gratitude. Would love for you to shout out someone in the industry you admire or perhaps someone on your team or just someone in your life. Just say something nice about someone who you think might be listening today. Oh, there's so many people I want to say nice things about. Um, obviously, you being the host, I want to just like say you're incredible But I started thinking about this and you are, by the way, you're amazing, Alina. I started thinking about like just these past few weeks and the experience I had at that mastermind that I told you about in Austin. And it was organized by a strong woman named Lindsay Lewis. 
who totally recommend for future podcast guests, but she works at the American College of Financial Services. She's a CFP. She had a practice at one point, and now she is, um, I don't know exactly what she does there, but I know she does a lot of educating and talking about financial planning for women. She organized this mastermind and I was blown away. Like she picked all of us up from the airport, had this beautiful, like big Mercedes Benz 12 seater. She hired a personal chef. She had all the best snacks, all the healthy things. She had little gift bags for us in our room. She took us to the spa. Like everything was organized. You didn't have to do anything. And she said that. She said, I didn't want any of you ladies to come here this weekend and have to think about doing anything. I wanted to take care of it all for you. And I can only imagine what kind of pressure that was and how much work and labor of love she put into that. And so I like we are all so inspired by her. And we told her, girl, this can be big. This can be not just one a year. This can be one a quarter. And every woman in this industry needs to experience this. So I really want to shout out Lindsay Lewis. I just adore her. I admire her. I think she is incredible. She's also a mom and I don't know she does it all. So um, she is the person that comes to mind about wanting to give a shout out today and just a moment of gratitude for hosting that really special weekend, an unforgettable one. I think she's amazing. I love it. Um, And it circles back really beautifully to one of the lessons that you were sharing too about always dreaming bigger for yourself. And I love that you're taking that knowledge and encouraging other women to see the bigger picture with these incredible projects that they're doing and how it can really be a bigger business and have a bigger impact, not just on their own lives, but the lives of other women and people in our space too. Totally agree. Jimmy, pondering something. <laughs> was was the meeting with Lindsay, was it here in Philadelphia? It was in Austin, Texas. Oh, okay. Very yeah. cool. It was cold. My first time there. And it was it was a cool spot. It was no, I said very cool. cool. Like cool, cool. Like cool. <laughs> well, it was also yeah. freezing, if I remember it was correctly. Cold as well. <laughs> so yeah. you're still shivering for being there. Oh my God. It was bone chilling cold. It was colder than Denver. I was like, what is this? It's a different I- cold. I, I had asked if it was here in Philadelphia because I know the American College is based in yeah. the suburbs of Philly. Mm-hmm. So that's why I was bringing that up. Sorry. There you go. Makes sense. Um, <laughs> but Austin, I hear great things about, and I definitely want to go check it out. Why was it cold? How this was just it recently? Was abnormally cold, apparently, according to the other women that live there. Um, it just was a weird weekend. And but yet we were outside taking walks every day for like an hour and we just the happiness, like, you know, you didn't really think about it too much, but yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Love that. Well, cheers to powerful women coming together. Thank you, Lindsay Lewis. Love the shout out. And thank you so much, Diana, for being on the show. I really appreciate you taking your time to share your story. And I know that so many people listening are going to benefit from this so much. Thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. This has been an awesome conversation. Love all the podcasts that you two bring to the space. Love the name of the podcast. Love everything about it. So I'm excited about this episode. Look at you evangelizing us on your way out. I love it. (laughs) All right. Well, to our listeners, we hope actually we know that you learned something new and enjoyed hearing Diana's story. Thank you so much for being on the show again. And to everyone who listened in today, be sure to write us via email at pressplay at streetcredpr.com to tell us what you think, ask us any questions, suggest any guests, 
or even just to tell us what you had for breakfast this morning. Thanks again for tuning in and we can't wait to introduce you to our next guest. Bye. Thank you for listening to Press Play, the Street Cred Podcast. Visit our website at streetcredpr.com and find us on Twitter and LinkedIn. Please don't forget to click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. And if you enjoyed the episode, we'd love nothing more than if you would rate and review the show. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Street Cred PR. The content has been made available for informational, educational, and entertainment purposes only. If you have questions about the show or Street Cred PR, feel free to reach out to us. Thanks again for listening. <laughs>